I'm Chelsea Hernandez, host of the new podcast, Deferred Dreams, a conversational series about student loan debt from crisis to forgiveness, produced by Make Every Media. Welcome, everyone, to the first podcast. This is sort of a big step for me. I was just thinking the other day, as I'm starting to see everyone's decade Instagram post, that 10 years ago was when I got my college degree. So I thought it was kind of interesting how I'm having this new project starting up all based around school. But it's a big step for me personally because I've never done a podcast. And it's kind of the first time I'm speaking publicly about my student loan debt. And I'm realizing that there is this stigma around debt of how people don't want to say the amount that they're in debt. They don't want to say that they're in debt because they're embarrassed by it. And for me, it was like, you know, we shouldn't be embarrassed about trying to do better for ourselves, um, trying to get a higher education. And so this is what this whole project is. I am in development for a documentary film about student loan debt, following my own personal story while also seeking out other stories. So today we'll be talking about personal struggles, revelations, and solutions of student debt. So as much as we'll be talking about people's personal stories of debt, and it can be kind of heavy, it could be a little depressing, I wanted to make sure that every episode also has stories of hope, has some solutions, some comedy. I will have a co-host for every episode. And for today's episode, I have Samantha Ray Lopez. She is a first-generation college graduate with a Bachelor of Science in film production from Full Sail University. In the 11 years since her graduation, she has worked within various industries, including film, nonprofit, tech, and digital media marketing. Today, she works for an Austin-based vacation rental tech company and spends her free time doing stand-up comedy and working on a film review podcast called Critics on Tap. And I'm so thrilled that you are here. Yay! Thank you so much for having me, Chelsea. This is going to be super fun. I have been wanting to talk about this topic for a long time. I know you and I have had conversations about this and feel like this is the kind of perfect way to do that. And I love how you're kind of opening this up to the community. I love how there will be an element of involvement later on too. So that's something to look forward to. It's going to be fun. You're also the podcast pro on this. Barely. I just like show up and give my opinion on a weekly basis on this other podcast. And it's really fun. I don't know how any of the production works, but yeah, I just like talking about myself, which is why I'm doing stand up now. And love it. That's just kind of what my life is. So (laughs) that's where I'm at. And for local audiences, where can we see you do stand-up? Yeah, so I'm doing stand-up kind of all over town. If you want to get like announcements or whatever, follow me on Instagram. It's S-R-A-E-L-O-P-E-Z. So it's S-Ray Lopez. And yeah, it's kind of like the last show I did was at the Buzz Mill. I've performed at the Fallout Institution Theater. So yeah, just kind of all over the place, honing in on my craft. And this is kind of the first time that I'm actually doing a creative project for myself. Um, It's been about a year and I'm really loving it and very much looking forward to 2020 to really lean in and continue to hone in on that craft. And it was a process to get there. 
for yes. you mm-hmm. and debt playing a role in that. So can you talk a little bit about how you kind of dealt with your student debt? And like I said, you were you are so prolific. You've done so much stuff, but there were reasons why you delved into some different industries. So yeah, after high school, I knew that I wanted to go into film production and really leaned into kind of the organizational aspect of my skills. Um, I'm very much a center-brained person and knew that I wanted to do something in the creative world. But in from my perspective, I was like, the only way I can really make money is if I work as like a producer or someone who's like putting these projects together. So I spent the majority of kind of the early years working in the independent film industry. But here in Austin, it wasn't necessarily sustainable or profitable, really. And then leaving college, I had a ton of bills to pay. And kind of had to start making some sacrifices. So I was working in the nonprofit world as well as working on independent projects, doing some like Kickstarter consultations, things like that. Just never really diving into any creative aspect for me. It was mostly like the producing aspect and getting things organized. And then at one point I could not afford to live in Austin with, you know, the money that was coming in. And I moved back in with my parents. So I realized that that's a great privilege that not a lot of people have. So I moved back to San Antonio and I was working for a nonprofit there, which was really great. I mean, I feel like all of the experiences that I've had with my work contributes to who I am. It just really wasn't what I wanted to be doing, though. I knew I wanted to be back in Austin. I was in a relationship at the time and we were talking about getting more serious and starting a family and all of those things. And I knew that the only way for a family to be something in my future was if I got a full-time job with health insurance and things like that. So kind of put it out there to the universe and a job kind of fell in my lap, which is crazy. And I ended up working at a software tech company for about four years. And that was really great. But in that time, there were and you had never issues. done tech before never no so this was like a whole new world for me it was out of film and not really creative much but I was able to carve some space to be able to use my skills so I was a social media content producer for a long time and then a social media strategist after that all within the same company so there were a lot of great resources there that I was able to leverage but then also use the skills that I have but still not creating anything of my own So recently I just moved to a new job and it's not anything I've ever done before. But like I said, about a year ago, I really leaned into starting to do comedy because I was like, let me just do this because I have my student loans. It's going to be what it is. I'm not going to be able to really go all in and get money from this right now. And, you know, a couple of years ago, the whole family talk kind of stopped with the person that I was with. And, you know, all of that relationship stuff happens. But My trajectory has kind of changed. I do have a dog now, which is great. And he does fulfill me in many ways. But again, the circumstances of my financial situation, I think, have been the main driver for the decisions I've made in my career, not what I'm passionate about, what I'm good at, anything like that. So I'm very driven and dedicated to all of the jobs that I have. But after a while, that starts to weigh on you, right? So now that I've explored comedy, comedy writing, and really collaborating with other people in that way, I do have a little bit of like, man, I really should have done this earlier. But I'm very happy that I finally got to it now. And 
yeah, still kind of dealing with the financial aspect of things, you know. And during that whole time you had you were paying your mm-hmm. student loans, yeah. like even living at home. Well, and- so before I started living at home, I was on every deferment plan, income based repayment plan. I was getting calls, calling them pretty regularly and figuring out what my options were. And at one point I was even contacted by a company and it was shady. They they were like, give us this money and then we can help you like consolidate your loan. And it or looks whatever. official too. Yes, it looks like yeah. the federal government. And I was like, wait a minute. And yeah. I had to go to the website in the very bottom, which was like tiny print. Yeah. I should have done more research. But at that point, I was like so desperate for help that I was like, yes, help me. But I think going back to even how the loan started, I'm a first generation college graduate and my parents didn't really know the path to college, how funding worked, any of that. And I was also at a point where I knew that I couldn't go to them for questions and didn't really have like a school counselor in high school. Like I feel like that those resources were more for people that were at risk of not going to college. So I was kind of in this in-between. And then my senior year, my dad was laid off from his job. But according to FAFSA, they go from like the previous like tax year. So couldn't get a lot of money. And so for some reason, I was able to get like a ton of money <laughs> as a teenager to go to college. And yeah, I think after that experience and really reflecting on like, oh, wow, you were really taking advantage of that's kind of changed my perception on a lot of things and the way, I, you know, I trust people, the situations I'm getting into. It's probably why I haven't gotten into a lifelong contract with another person like marriage. (laughs) When I was at the crossroads where I was like, should I create or should I not? I chose the other route. And granted, you know, the job that I'm working at is cool. And I've had this path of really great experiences. But at the same time, I'm kind of a jack of all trades, master of none type of person, as opposed to like, this is who Sam is as an individual. So people ask me like, oh, you know, give me your bio or who are you? or What do you do? And I'm like, I'm kind of all over the place. Like, let's talk about it, you know? So I think ultimately I'm very much looking forward to now that I've opened up to this creative aspect of my life and leaning into that, that I see positive things coming from it. I'm happy that I can take that route. But I also know that there are limitations based on what I can do because of my bills and everyone has you know different timelines within their life of Mm -hmm. like finding themselves and I mean I feel like I'm still doing that too even though I'm I'm doing what I studied and I'm really thankful and I realize I have a privilege to do that but it also then you know the lulls and and emotions come when Mm -hmm. like I don't have a job and you know I just got off of like a really great commercial tv project and then I'm not doing anything I'm like oh my god where am I gonna be Mm -hmm. and the next Mm -hmm. couple weeks like that loan bill is going to come through like how am I going to pay it do I have room on my forbearance to continue right Mm because there's only so many times you can extend that yeah Yeah, the emotional part of things has probably been the biggest toll I started going to counseling a couple of years ago because it was causing so much anxiety for me and you know I also don't want to be spending eight hours a day doing something I hate and so at the time I was very much like I don't know what to do. I don't know what I'm doing. I also feel like my parents are like, what are you doing with your degree? Like that, yeah. that whole aspect of yeah. like expectations. And so, yeah, it's, it's definitely been a conversation. Me and my therapist have always, it's an ongoing thing, right? Paying these student loans because there's so much or exploring buying a house where that could benefit me financially later or all of these other things. So yeah, I've kind of had to come to terms with 
a lot of things because of the financial situation, how it's impacted my health, my mental health, my physical health. And just over the course of 11 years, now I'm able to kind of look back and say, all right, it's had this effect on me. What do I do now? And so I'm kind of at that point of like, what do I do now? But also very much scared of facing everything that comes with that because I put my number on a sticky note today and was like, I've probably paid that or more over this time. And it fucking sucks. Sorry for cursing, but it does. And I don't know how long it's going to take for me to get there either. So there's all this talk like we're going to erase student loans. And for some people, they might see that as like, okay, whatever, you just have one less bill. But for some people, it really is kind of a make or break on the life that you live, right? If you have kids or if you're like a caretaker for an elder parent, those kinds of things that really does have a huge impact, um, especially because a lot of these loans are predatory loans. And it's it's a bigger conversation, I think, than, oh, I have these really high bills that I have to pay on a regular basis. It's, you know, the obligation that you have to pay these loans that probably shouldn't have existed in the first place. Right. You know? Right. Right. Yeah. The whole FAFSA number is hilarious. I think when I did it the first time, it said my parents could give me like $18,000 a year. And I was like, what? And I just like laughed at that. Like whose parents can like give that to you a year? And how did you come up with that number? It's just the strangest formula. I want to move on to a segment in the podcast called In the News, where we kind of talk about a couple things that I've read about in the news that has come up. One thing, this new study came out and it said that loan debt is having a really big impact on African-Americans, that college loan default rates are about double for African-Americans as for whites. The default rate for black students is now 17.7% compared with 9 percent for whites and then the default rate for Hispanics is around 13 percent and I thought that was an interesting article to read this week as we also had Latina Equal Pay Day mm-hmm. in which Latinas make 52 or 53 cents on the dollar and so that must have an effect you know on on us as well mm-hmm. as like we're leaving we get our college degree we're hoping to get that job but then we're still going to be paid less Yeah, totally. I mean, we're all sold this idea of like, go to school, you'll get a good job, you'll be able to pay it. And then, you know, cool. But all of those other circumstances, the fact that like universities are raising tuition, the interest rates on loans are crazy. And then there's all of these other things like standard of living. Yes, exactly. Like reproductive laws and how they disproportionately affect people of color and uh, low income households. There's a lot of things at play here, I think. And it's great that we have these numbers now that we can look at them in the face and say, look, something needs to happen. I think it's a matter of like, what is it that we can start to do? But again, I think it's a like systemic thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad these numbers are coming out. It is crazy that they're just now coming out and and how long have people been giving out student loans, which is crazy. But I guess in California, they've started a student borrower bill of rights. So lawmakers in the state have put forward the first legislation in the nation that would create clear, enforceable borrower protections to kind of just rein in the abuses by student loan companies, including some of the biggest banks. So it's almost like a bill of rights like you get when you sign a credit card or Mm -hmm. like a mortgage. It just makes sense. And it's so 
strange that now people are starting to think about the rights of borrowers for yeah. student loans. Yeah, it's interesting. And I'm glad that, you know, California, they're the ones that are like starting this whole thing. Granted, how long is it going to take for the rest of the nation to really take this on? But the fact that a lot of the Democratic candidates right now are really using that as part of their platform is, you know, bringing light to how dangerous and damaging having this much student loan is for a whole generation. I've known a lot of people who have moved back in with parents or relatives or siblings or whatever, especially, you know, living in Austin, the cost of living is rising so quickly with so many people coming in from other cities and it growing so quickly. It's just hard for people who might be working in the service industry or as creatives to really live here. And Austin touts itself as like, keep Austin weird and the live music capital of the world. But musicians can't live here on that. No, you know what I mean? No like, way. where are they supposed to live? They're How farther do we out. Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah. And so the cost of living is a really big impact, I feel, on on creatives, especially, and people working in the service industry. Yeah, I forgot what we were talking about. Yeah. What was the question? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Cal- California is going to secede oh, yeah, from California's, the country. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised they haven't important. started that talk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean... Yes, it's good that it's it now the subject of student loan debt is now I feel being talked about more and what's exciting about this project and what you're doing and bringing people together is that now as individuals we can talk about our own instances. So, I mean, I'm giving kind of like a general overview of what my story is but there's a lot of nuances for everyone everyone's stories and if people have that support from community and other people I think it makes it a little bit more easy to deal with and kind of brings down that aspect of anxiety so solidarity yeah for sure (laughs) and and hopefully more stuff like this happens I mean I am excited about 2020 and the conversations about eliminating student loan debt. And as much as it's going to be a huge feat and Congress is going to have to pass that and it's not going to be overnight that it gets eliminated, (laughs) like there's definitely going to be conversation about it and some fighting. But I think it's great that we're even having this conversation. The total is $1.4 trillion of student loan debt in America. That's nuts. If those bank CEOs can just like get a bailout and buy more like stuff (laughs) then I should be able after 10 years of paying probably more than I've actually owned I should be able to live my life now you know what I mean I really do feel like it's shackles almost I hate to make that analogy because that's dumb but you know yeah for sure so it's just it's a bit much and a lot of people I know are in the same boat too and we commiserate about it but the reality is it's like wow like we should be able to have the flexibility to you know, explore philanthropy, give back to our communities, be exactly. functional within right. society without always having to try and hustle and get another job. It's not and, and Well, and that's the thing with this whole gig economy. People are looking at ways of living in very untraditional ways now. Mm-hmm. It's not so much a nine to five job and like as creatives and comedians, you know, like musicians and stuff, we're thinking of ways of making money in a very different way. Mm-hmm. And so I think how you borrow money should be thought of differently too or Mm -hmm. or even how you pay it back yeah totally maybe don't give thousands of dollars to teenagers well that too (laughs) that that's a huge part of it but yeah you're right I mean it's it's one of those things that everyone everyone has their own reasons for doing what they're doing right their own motivations 
but everyone also has a purpose, right? And those things that fulfill you as a person, those things that fulfill you, fulfill your family should be a big part of like the way we operate as a society, right? But that that value isn't necessarily placed on creative people, musicians, you know what I mean? People are always, hey, can you be a photographer at my wedding for like really cheap or for free? How much are creatives really asked to do things for free, right? I think it comes down to that. It's like the perception of value too. The barista probably has student loan debt and 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 they might love their job, but it's it's really hard to have that occupation yep. and, and pay your student debt too. Yeah, you know? totally. I mean, if we're still having these conversations that $15 minimum wage is outlandish. That is insane. It starts there. It's like where we value work and other humans. It's, it runs deep, you know? Well, I want to introduce our guest. Denise Thornton is a professional learning facilitator at the University of Texas Charles A. Dana Center, where she provides professional learning opportunities and resources for teachers and leaders to catalyze school and district improvements that increase student success in mathematics and advance college and career readiness goals. With 19 years of experience in public education, Denise was given an opportunity to have her loans forgiven which we'll talk a little bit more about. And as much as this podcast is about our own personal um, struggles and our frustrations with debt, we're trying to highlight solutions as well. I've learned a lot from Denise Thornton about certain budgeting tools. And so Denise, can you talk a little bit about your school experience and then tell us how you got into teaching and where that led you? Okay. So first and foremost, I didn't think that I would actually have a voice in the conversation because I don't have student debt. But when Chelsea asked me to talk about it, I realized I actually informally had a plan that I didn't realize was a plan that helped me to avoid student debt. And so a couple things, let me paint a picture of where my story is. I was raised by a really strong Filipino woman who it was never a question that I wasn't going to go to college. She was the first person in her family that went to college. She came from the Philippines. And so it was always instilled in me that you're going to college. Don't even think twice about it. When I was growing up, I played tennis. And so I knew that I was going to aspire at some point in time to either get a scholarship playing tennis or get an academic scholarship. And so that was ingrained in me. The expectation was high. It wasn't going to be a question. So when I finally went to college, I got a tennis scholarship and I ended up going to a junior college in Waco for many, many reasons. And that was really a great experience for me. I was on a full ride tennis scholarship to a junior college in Waco and they cut our women's tennis program after the first year. They were just going to put all their money into baseball and basketball because those were the moneymaker sports. Tennis wasn't a moneymaker sport. So I applied for scholarships to other places. And at, and my husband now, Matthew, um, and I were still together at the time. And so I thought about wherever I transfer, we wanted to go to school together. So we agreed to go back to our hometown, which was Corpus. And I played tennis at Texas A&M Corpus Christi. Did your scholarship transfer over? No. So basically... If you're going to get a scholarship for a sport, 
that coach recruits you. And the coach probably has a certain amount of money that they have to spend on scholarships. So let's say that year they have to recruit four girls, right? Four players. I'm just going to pick numbers for the sake of talking about it. So they might have $100,000 between four players. They could distribute that money any way they choose. Let's say they know it costs $10,000 a year to go to school there. They could say to the girl, I really want Sharon to play for me, so I'm going to offer her $40,000 because I know that that'll pay for her whole schooling. But then that only leaves the remaining amount of money to distribute among the other people that they're going to recruit, right? So when I transferred to A&M Corpus, I only got a partial tennis scholarship. So again, the way that the coach decided to split up what the scholarships were, I got a partial, but it was okay because I knew I was going to live at home, so he didn't need to cover my housing. So my junior and senior year, I was an education major and a math minor, and I had to do my student teaching. If you're going to be a teacher, you're expected to spend your last year of college doing in-school work, right, which is basically full-time. So I couldn't play on the tennis team anymore. That year, I was trying to find a way. Remember, my goal was I wanted to get a scholarship so that my parents didn't have to pay for me to go to school. So my senior year, I found a grant. It was called a conditional grant. And I went to my guidance counselor. They're not guidance counselors. They don't guide you in anything, right? But I went to the counselor's (laughs) office at the university and I said, what kind of opportunities are there for teachers? And they said, oh, well, here's this conditional grant you can apply for. If you get this grant, then you're committing to having to repay this loan over the course of however many years after, but you must teach at a high-need school. In Texas or all over the country, if you're considered at a school that has a really high uh, percentage of their students that are low socioeconomic, there you're in a high-needs area or a high-needs school, right? So I said, sure, if it gives me money today, I'll sign up for it. So I signed up for it, and then I graduated. So then, like you guys said, the bills start coming, and you start seeing that you owe a certain amount on this bill. So I worked as a high school geometry teacher in Corpus for the first year, and then my husband and I moved to Los Angeles. So again, I taught at a high-needs school, and math is deemed a high-needs area in education. And so I did some research, and I found out that I could get it forgiven. And I basically— So that was something your guidance counselor hadn't told you. They had loosely said, like, if you teach at a high-needs school or in a high-needs area, you have the option to get it forgiven. Like, you're going to—I think I borrowed, like, $6,000. I can't remember. It wasn't a big amount of money, but let's say it was $6,000 because you figure I wasn't paying for housing or anything. I was just paying for my classes and books. And so I just had to provide documentation. So I started getting these these bills in and I started to try to find out how I could get it forgiven. Like, what was it that I needed? So I got the superintendent at the school district to just write a verification letter that said, Denise Thornton is teaching math at this campus and we are this percentage, low socioeconomic, you know, whatever. So I sent it in and it got denied. So I kept getting this bill back for $6,000. And I don't like owing things. It would cause me anxiety to see these bills, right? And that's not even a lot 
compared to others, but it still was giving me like, oh gosh, I owe something. I'm going to have to pay this back. So time went on. I kept trying to figure out what documentation I needed and they kept giving me the runaround. One day I called this phone number that was on there and a lady in DC answered it. And I have this picture in my head of what her office looked like. Okay. (laughs) So she answers the phone. I feel like she had the phone up to her ear and she was like typing. (laughs) So for those of you on the podcast, I'm putting my phone up like I'm holding it between my shoulder. And I imagine she had stacks of papers all around her. Like she could only see the door (laughs) and all these stacks of papers. Right. And so I call her and I'm like, hello, whatever her name was. I was given your phone number and I was told I'm supposed to call you about getting my loan forgiven. And she's like, yeah, 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 yeah. What's your name again? And I was like, Denise Thornton. And she goes, what was your maiden name? And I'm like, Denise Beto Amagon. And she's like, okay. And what are you calling about? And I'm like, I'm calling about getting my loan forgiven. I feel like she's like thumbing through a thousand (laughs) files, right? And I said, I provided the documentation you asked. I keep getting this, this bill in the mail. Like, what else do I need to do? And she's like, hold on. But I don't even think she had a computer. Like, I really think, I think she She's had like a, a prop, like it either was make-believe or it was a typewriter or it was something, right? And she's like, oh, yeah, here's your file. And I'm thinking, how did you pull my file up? There's no way. She, I didn't have a file number. Like, it wasn't anything like that. So she goes, oh, yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, you provided the documentation. Okay, your loan's forgiven. What? I feel like she went like this with the like, <laughs> like paper. It. And I'm like. <laughs> she just lit it on fire. So, Done. Yeah. <laughs> so then I was like, what? She goes, yeah, your loan's forgiven. And I was like, I need documentation. Of yes. This. Yeah. I was like, can you send, I'll stay on the phone yeah. while you email me right now. Yeah. And she's like. Type on that? Yeah, yeah. Big sure, typewriter sure, version. sure. And I was like, no, I'm going to stay on the phone until I get this email. And so she goes, okay. And I sat there and she sent the email to me and it said, congratulations, your loan has been forgiven. And so, I mean, one, so a takeaway from that was it did take a little bit of persistence there because I had to go out of my way to call. And then when I called, I had to make sure that I had given the documentation that they had requested and that I found out what a definite answer was, right? I got to speak to a human. And then the other piece was, if somebody forgives your loan, get documentation of it. Like have them email you or send you a hard copy paper so that you can say, see, my loan is repaid. Yeah, it's crazy thinking of like when I signed my first loan application when I moved I moved to New York after going to community college here for a couple of years and thinking like now when I sign contracts for my film, I have a lawyer. Like I always get a lawyer to look at it. But at that time that I had a contract, like nobody looked at it. I was just like, yeah, yeah sure, whatever. And it's crazy. That I, was, I was only like 20, I think, when I signed that and had no idea what I was signing. I wish that students had the opportunity to have some kind of education class where if you're going to sign up for this student loan, here are what the expectations are after you graduate. You're going to be expected to pay at this rate. And then for C, if you pay only this amount, it's going to take you 150 years to pay it off. Or if you're going to pay this amount, you can pay it off in seven years. I don't know, whatever the number is, I wish students had that kind of 
knowledge that was shared with them when they're signing up for it, right? If you're not informed about what you're actually signing up for and how you pay that off, if you own a house, you it, you want to cringe when you look at your mortgage statement because you realize you've been living there for 15 years and you've only paid that much in principal because everything has been contributed towards interest. Yeah, it's a bit much. I'm so skeptical with like everything. When I go to the doctor, when I get oil changes, I'm like, are y'all telling me for real? Like the things that I actually do need to, and it's just because I don't know. And ever since signing these loans, I've been so proactive about, okay, what does this really mean? What like in everything that I do. So I try to look at it from all angles and make sure that I'm not being taken advantage of again, because I don't like that feeling of like, Man, when I was a teenager, I put so much trust in the fact that like these adults wouldn't be giving me the money I wouldn't be able to pay back, right? And that's me like thinking with this kind of clarity at the time, I'm like, I just need to get to college because if I don't, like there is no other option. So we are recording this podcast live at the Line Hotel as part of this residency that I have with Big Medium Gallery and the Line Hotel. And so we have a live studio audience. I know you had a question if you if you wanted to bring it up and, and introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Hannah. Thank you, everybody, for speaking today. It was really interesting. I was wondering, part of why student loan debt is so sad is because you don't get to contribute to your own community because you're so busy paying off your loans every month instead of paying for local businesses or whatever. So I'm curious, what would you be doing for your community, large and small, if you didn't have to pay for your student loans? That's a great question. Who wants to go first? You. (laughs) Yeah, I want to go first. You want to go first. This is a great question. I've thought a lot about it, but I've been doing a lot of work lately on kind of trying to find my voice as an artist and as a creative. And part of that work is, you know, really finding my purpose and who I am, all of that stuff. Right. And I found that I'm the type of person that when I find an opportunity for myself, i.e. doing my creative work, I also want to be helping others and giving them a platform. So I think that also um, is true for my past work in that I want to be a producer so that I can enable storytellers to tell their stories and I can figure out the logistics. Like let them be the storytellers and I can make it happen. So for me, I think at this point, it would be a mix of me really tapping into the comedy aspect of things and writing and actually creating and producing and then creating some type of space where performers can come that wouldn't necessarily have that opportunity at kind of the bigger performance spaces. I got a lot out of working for a film festival early in my career and have always seen myself as a person who is really bringing stories that are not necessarily unconventional, but not necessarily in the mainstream to the forefront. So that's kind of some, I know that's kind of like broad in general, but I think in terms of creating opportunities for people who deserve it, because there are so many kind of gatekeepers and barriers for a lot of people who are true storytellers and creatives. So for me, it's really finding a way to do that. I think the big idea here is like making money work for me instead of me working to pay off debt. And then, yeah, obviously, you know, giving creative people an opportunity to do that and to be that. In my situation, I get 
to do that, right? But what I will say is I'm very uh, connected to a budget. So whatever I want to pursue, I budget it. So my husband can attest to this. We have this crazy spreadsheet that I keep. But whatever works for you, that's what you do. But you know how much money is coming in and you know how much money has to go out. And as much as we want to say you can be free, everybody at any price at any income level has to be intentional about the way they're choosing to spend their money. And to us, travel is a big thing because it opens us up. My husband's a filmmaker. We get to see the way that the world works, right? But we budget for it. So we say, we're going to contribute this amount of money every month to just a fund that we keep on the side, whether that's $50 and you go to San Antonio or you put in $150 and you know eventually you're going to go to Hawaii, whatever that is. So that's one thing. And then also just allowing yourself within your budget, whatever that is, to put a little bit of money away for like a rainy day and then also to do things that help nurture you if you have anxiety or if you – so meditation and yoga is big. And so I just know I want to set aside money for that. That's great. That's amazing. Yeah. Thank you so much for all of these tips and yes. telling your stories, yes. both of you. It's yeah. been really Thank great. You for it's been us. awesome. Yeah. I would probably go to law school <laughs> so I could be my own entertainment lawyer. Yeah. Oh, man. Perpetual studenthood yeah. or whatever. Like, I'd love to be a student, but. Yeah. You know, I'm scared now. Exactly. <laughs> I'm scared um, of academia. I, I want to thank you all so much for being here and doing this. You guys are such bosses. You're so inspiring. You're doing such tremendous stuff. And yeah, you just make life um, so much better. And so thank you so much, Denise and Sam, for being my co-pilot today. <laughs> I also want to thank everyone for coming here. This Yay. is so awesome. I also want to thank our amazing podcast recording crew, Seth and Michael from makeeverymedia.com you can follow them on facebook go to their website they're badass and they made this recording possible so thank you so much Yay! Yay! thanks y'all you've been listening to the pilot episode of a new series from make every media's podcast hatchery if you'd like to hear more of this show, you can pledge your support at patreon.com slash makeeverymedia. That is literally the only way we can keep telling this story. You can check out some of our other media hatchlings at makeeverymedia.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned.